What is the gospel? Well, we know the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news about Jesus Christ. The gospel is about good news about Jesus Christ who saves us from something. He saves us from our sins. And he saves us so that we can have new life. The gospel is about living for something. Yes, we are saved from something, but the gospel is about living for something. Many people come to know Jesus, and they come to be relieved of their sin and their bondage and their fears, and they're glad to be done with that because that's behind them. But God also saves us for something. It's not just accept Jesus in your heart, wait till you die, and go to heaven. That's not God's plan. God's plan always from the beginning of time, was for human beings to live fully. In fact, Jesus said, I've come so that they could have life for the full. And anything that would impede God's life-giving purpose for you, he wants to eradicate that, but he also wants you to live for something. He wants to live you, have you go forward with your life. It's for something. The gospel is about moving forward in our life despite obstacles. Anybody have any obstacles this last year? None. Wow, you guys are doing great. Right? How many ever had obstacles in your life, right? We've all had them. What do you do? The gospel is about moving forward even in spite of all of our obstacles. Today I'm calling it the gospel according to Moses. And it's about God delivering his people out of and through the Red Sea out of bondage, out of slavery, into freedom. And Jesus is looked on as our deliverer in this story. It's Israel's story. It's a story about Exodus. The book of Exodus is the story of leavings. They're leaving something behind, these people of God, for something else. They had been enslaved for 400 years, and God, through a, a lot of miraculous signs and wonders, has them leave Egypt, which is a symbol of bondage. This is a symbol of bondage throughout history. For any of God's people, it's a symbol for our lives that we always are leaving anything that would impede life in us, create bondage for something better for life. They had been enslaved. They were free. They were so glad to be done with the Egyptians. They were so glad to be out of slavery, and they left. But a problem occurs. As they're leaving, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, changes his mind. He says, go after those guys. What are we going to do without our slaves? Send them forth. So here is all of Israel, all the people of God, and they have come up to a huge obstacle we call the Red Sea. And just on the, their tails is this huge army that's coming to destroy them. What do they do when they face an obstacle that they cannot take on their own. So the first point is that obstacle impedes God's life-giving purpose for them. Listen to this. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Hmm. God had another purpose. He wasn't quite done with these people who, were, who thought they were slaves. The king of Egypt, who chased the, after uh, the people of Israel, who had left with fist raised in defiance. I love that version. It's like, nuts to you, Egyptians! You're toast. We're free. That was their attitude. We're done with this. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces of Pharaoh's army. They had just said, forget you, Pharaoh. 
in your face. God has delivered us. And now the Egyptians rise up and chase them. They're actually stuck between a, what we call a rock and a hard place, the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies. Are they still going to have faith or are they going to fear? The next thing that happens is they let out a cry to God. People cry out for deliverance. Have you ever cried out to God? Yeah. Well, Exodus 14, chapter 14 goes on to say this. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking him. They panicked. None of us would panic. They cried out to God and they said to Moses, remember, they just said, in your face, Pharaoh, defiant fist to Pharaoh. And now they say this. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why have you done this to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Did you ever say why to God? Didn't we tell you this was happened while we were still in Egypt? I don't recall them ever saying that. We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in to the Egyptians than a corpse in the wilderness. Apparently, the slavery thinking still wasn't out of their, their mentality yet. They were freed from being a slave physically, but they still had this wanting to go back. So many times this can happen in anyone's life where you're going forward, but then you wish you kind of like to go back to the comfortable way it was before. This is not what we signed up for. We had three square meals a day. I knew my job every day, make bricks. This is my role. Everything was defined. I could have all the food I want. And now you're asking me, as the Egyptians are on our tail, trust me on this. You're kidding. We're going to die. Next, we notice the people were called to believe in spite of obstacles. This is, the, this is the, 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 where everything turns, where it goes from this crisis. The climax comes, and it says this. The people were called to believe in spite of obstacles. And Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stand still. Stay calm. You can imagine how this reverberated through all these people. Just stay calm and stand still. Okay. Okay, then. All right, then. We're just about to be taken out. We're, it looks like everything is against us. And you say, stay calm. Just stay calm. Stand. Don't be afraid. But apparently Moses wasn't moving fast enough for God either because God says in uh, chapter 14 of Exodus 15 and 16, Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff. And raise your hand upon the sea. How many know the story about, the, about God delivering them from the Egyptians? How many know this? I've heard this. How many have heard it? Okay. And if you know anything about the staff, it's a staff that represents, uh, it actually represents power. Because this is, this is God's authority for Moses and ha as he goes forward. So this staff represents God's power. And God says to him, 
Take the staff that I've used to do all these miracles in the past with, and I want you to raise it up toward the sea. I want you, it's almost as if he's saying, I want you to raise up my authority over this calamity that you think you're not going to get out of. And I want you to raise it up against the sea and watch what I will do. He raises up his hands and he finds out that God's sufficiency, this is the key part of this whole thing today. God's sufficiency is greater than any inadequacy we might feel. God's sufficiency is greater. Then God works. He responds and he rescues his people. Moses raised up his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. And the people of Israel walked through the middle on, on, on dry ground and the waters on, with the waters on, of, as, like walls on each side. Then the people saw the mighty power of the Lord had unleashed upon, upon the Egyptians, and they were filled with awe before God. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Notice how the story goes. This is a story that's repeated over and over again through history and especially through the people of God. There's a problem. There's an obstacle that cannot be overcome. You name it. What has been your obstacles? Or what possibly could be your obstacles. And it does not look like there's a way out. Immediately, the people cry out, not necessarily in faith, but they cry out. Why is this happening to us? One guy said it's like a primal scream. The scream of all humanity crying out to God. Why? Help! God saves them by his power in the middle of what seems like unattainable goals. God proves himself sufficient in the middle of people's feeling of inadequacy. And the people, here's the key point, the people come out changed. They are never going back to Egypt. They might complain still, but there's no way. The bridge is burned. They're not going to go back. And you all know the story that, that, that I've seen this maybe in movies before, but all the sea closes up on all the Egyptians. There's no way for the Israelites to go back. There's just the desert ahead, and God does this mighty victory. What is the Lord saying here? He's saying, move forward. It's time to move forward. It's our lives, too. We kind of come to points in our lives where we go, I'm toast. I'm dead. There's a deadness of spirit that can come within our spirit when we face obstacles. We cry out to God, where are you? The question is, will I stand and, and stand still and trust him? When I can't not make anything happen. And then we come out changed. It's a story replete throughout history or throughout the Bible about what seems like death and rebirth. It's constantly repeated that something dies and something new comes to life. It's a picture of baptism that we're going to do next week. In fact, the Red Sea is like a paradigm, a picture of baptism. You walk through the Red Sea, it looks like you're going to die, but on the other side you come and you're alive. That's what the, the New Testament says, that Jesus is the one who leads us through that. They walked, they were through that, and they were being, they were being freed. They, they, were, they were freed from everything they thought was solid and true to something that really was solid that they could totally rely on that God was sufficient. And now they, God was stripping off everything out of their life that was not about him, and now they are going to live 
for him. God is sufficient in all of our inadequacies. When life is disorienting, and it often can be, maybe some of you have felt a little disoriented. What is happening to this country? What is happening to this world? What is happening to my life? God has a way of bringing new life to each one of us. When we feel things are just killing our soul, Jesus said, I've come to give you life. I want to give you something new. God, we become to know, here's the key. We come to know God as he is and not as we wish him to be. We come to know what he's called us to be, not what I planned for my life. Death and rebirth. We come to a place where we have to say, I refuse Egypt. I refuse bondage. I refuse to go back to any of the negativity of that old life. Instead, I embrace the new life that God is giving me on the other side. Let me share you a little of my story. Many of you know, oh, five years ago uh, or so, actually I've been here five years at Neighborhood Church. It's hard to believe. And I was at uh, pastor at Life Center for 25 years. So some of you are maybe from Life Center. And I was there, and 2009, 2010 was probably the worst year of my life. Why? Life Center, or the large church, had inherited a small church. It was called Point Defiance Assembly. It no longer exists, by the way. It was a strong, it was a struggling congregation. The pastor was kind of tired of it. And he said, you guys take it over. So Life Center did. The church took it over. And both, the, both churches struggled on how to maintain it, how to keep this church going. And, and it wasn't working well. And then me, in my ignorance, one time in a staff meeting said, I'll do it for a while. So I told the pastor, I said, I'll do it for three months. It ended up being 12 months. This was a church that did not want to be overtaken by another church. Some of you have been there with me. I think Hope helped me uh, and her whole family. Mike, yeah, you were there. These were people that were very frustrated with the whole situation. I remember um, coming and it was, I forgot what time their service started, 10, 1030. Most people were not at church when it started. So, 10 minutes into service, 15 minutes into service, there was nobody in the room. Guess how that made you feel if you were a new guest? How do you grow a church like that? You're walking in, it's like, where is everybody? And they finally triple all in, except for church lady. We had one lady that would greet me at the door and give me her opinions about how things were bad and how lousy I was and how this was a terrible situation. She was a pastor's daughter, and she had a lot of, Anger and bitterness in her heart. Finally, I asked, might even been to Davis family, can you kind of give me a little distance between her and me? I remember one time I, I got all the people together and I said, we're going to grow this church and we're going to reach the youth. And one older man stood up and said, well, you don't care about us and walked out. And that was the end of that. It was the worst year of my life, mainly because I kept trying. I had years and years of success in ministry. God had used me with children, with small groups, with missions. And this year, no matter what I did, no matter what I tried, failure. I felt abandoned. The harder I tried, the emptier I became. This wasn't working. I cried out to God many times. Why is this happening? Where are you taking me? Where are you leading me? What am I to do with this? I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, can you do it just a few more months? Remember, one pastor's wife came up to me and she said, I had this dream. 
I said, what? I dreamed you were drowning. I was like, <laughs> she was reading my mail. It's exactly how I felt. I would take walks outside and I imagine I, I was living on a tropical island and this wasn't part of my problem. You ever do that little escape thing? Oh, I don't want to be here anymore. And it was just becoming heavier and heavier and heavier on me. I was between a rock and a hard place and I didn't see a way out. But I had to confront the brutal fact. I was totally inadequate for what it took to make this happen. I could not do this. Maybe you've read um, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. It has a thing in there called the Stocksdale Paradox. He was imprisoned uh, for seven years in Vietnam, won a Medal of Honor for it. And this is what he says. You have to retain faith that you will prevail in the end. Stand still and watch what I'll do. And at the same time, you must confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. <laughs> I had only confronted the pro I not only confronted the problem, the problem confronted me. I had to face where I, what I was becoming, and I had to trust God in a very difficult time. Yes, I was feeling between a rock and a hard place, but God was doing something in me that no one saw on the on the outside of me. He was doing something in me because he was changing me for something else he had created that wasn't in my scope. I had to learn to trust God in a new level. I was about to venture out from a very secure, very uh, uh, established job, and he was going to push me out. It was I, I say God was kicking me in the butt, and he was saying, you need to move. I have something new for you. This isn't working because I have something else planned. It was here. God was getting me ready to minister here. I had to go through that year because I was not ready. I would not be ready to be your pastor without that year of what God has equipped me to do. But he was doing something in me. This is the key thing. He was doing something in me. Yes, I always have a choice. You always have a choice. You can blame the situation. You can blame the people. But that is <clears throat> then you're letting other people finish your story. Or you can help finish the story yourself by cooperating with what God is doing. That you become the, def I define my life like God was showing me a new ministry. I don't define my life by all the problems that happened to me. Notice the, pro the, 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 the pattern again. A problem comes that seems insurmountable. Pain comes to you people that you cannot sometimes overcome yourself. You come up against a wall. You do not see a way out. This is, you have to realize that this is what we signed up for. This is what Christians do. They go through a process where God actually kills something so something new can come. He was never about the problem. It was never that God sent that bad thing into your life. It was about life at the other end that he wanted to work in and through you. So there's a problem. You cried out to God. You didn't see any way out. You had to stand and trust him. Will I trust him in the middle of this? And then God intervenes and opens up a whole new thing that you never imagined. It's the pattern that God continues throughout the whole Bible. Yeah, it was the beginning of hard times. This wasn't just the first of it. This was a succession of very difficult things. But from a very a series of difficult things, I emerged with a new sense of calling of who I am in Christ, that he's totally sufficient, and that he's called me to do what he's called me to do. I didn't sign up for it. He signed me up, and he shaped me and moved me forward. 
I had to become engaged with what he was all about and not what I was all about. You know the difference? Many of you are married, and you know in your marriage relationship that things can not go well. What is the worst thing that can happen in a marriage? Cheating, divorce, not having trust. Anything else? Not being a partner. Oh, all those are, yeah, they can, we all know that in our marriages that there are things that can try to erode the trust between us. I would like to suggest another one, being disengaged. Why? Because this is one I know really well. When I'm busy, I'm a very focused person, right, Pam? When I'm focused, I'm focused. I'm watching TV. You're not in the room. <laughs> when I'm studying for my doctoral work, you don't exist. This is not a good thing, guys. I know what it means to be disengaged when I'm totally focused on my task. And my wife knows she can tell you about this. That Yeah, this is something that Fred has to work at, being disengaged. But being disengaged over a long period of time can erode your relationship. And God was showing me through this, not only that I need to be engaged with the people around me, but I need to be engaged with what he's doing. Notice that Moses and the people of God had to be engaged with what God was doing. It wasn't like God just did it and said, you just stand and you're not, you're not a part of that. You have to trust me in this. And when I say, when I say stand and wait, you stand and wait. And when I say move forward, you move forward. Don't be disengaged. In, be engaged with what I'm doing in your life. God isn't like this magic man up there in the sky zapping you every time you need a little boost. You have to be engaged in the process. I love it because right after Exodus 14, Moses, after this huge victory, sings a song. I'm not going to sing it, but let me read it to you. I will sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously for he has hurled both Horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God. And I will exalt him. Who is like you among gods? All the things that threaten, O oh Lord. Glorious in holiness. Awesome in splendor. Performing great wonders. You raised your right hand. Wait, I thought it was Moses' right hand. When Moses rose his staff, he was raising up God's. And the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead your people. You have redeemed. In your might, you guide them from your, for your sacred home. What's your song? If you're not a believer, sometimes you walk into, why aren't these Christians singing all the time? Why, who sings? Nobody sings. Well, maybe a few people sing, but no, most of us don't sing all the time. But we come to church and people are singing. We have a song to sing. What's your song? God is sufficient is our song. God is sufficient is our song. You are totally adequate for so many things in life. We're really strong individuals. Us guys like to face things, don't we? We can handle it. But there comes times when, the, when life looks like it's, we can't, there's no way through. And we have to trust God that he's more than sufficient when I feel inadequate. He delivers us from all of our addictions, of course, tobacco, pornography, drugs, alcohol. Slave thinking is, I don't have the resources. I can't do this. Or 
Slave thinking is, there's not going to be any conflict in my life. Once I give my life to Jesus, it's going to be sweet. What happens? Stuff happens in our life, and we go, why are you? I thought it was going to be, if I just follow the rules somehow, that it would all work out. How do you know you're in slave thinking? You keep doing the same thing over and over again and never are satisfied. You go to, you go to your addictions. You go to your status quo. Freedom, though, shifts from what I, thinking of what I don't have to what God has. Beyond chemical additions, addictions, he delivers us and frees us to live fully for him. Because in this world, we have a kind of a scarcity thinking. Did you ever hear people say, oh, I just don't have enough time? Right? I don't have enough space. I need some more space here. I don't have enough space. I don't have enough energy. Right? What is that? That's looking in the wrong direction. Of course, there are times you don't have enough space, you don't have enough time, and you don't have enough energy. That's the time to engage with God. That's the time when his adequacy is more, or his sufficiency is more than your adequacy. He says, wait upon me, and I'm going to give you energy. I'm going to give you, like the youth, like these kids, I'm going to give you that kind of energy in your life that you can overcome. Freedom thinking is, I'm not bound by these circumstances. I'm not bound by my emotional situation. I am free to live for God. Galatians 4, 6, and 7 says, <clears throat> Because you're the children of God, God has sent his spirit into your hearts, prompting us to call him Abba Father. You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Since you are his child, God made you his heir. God rescues us. He comes in the middle of our mundaneness, our boredom, and in, in sometimes when the problem is overwhelming it's time to wait upon god and when he says move forward it's time to move forward some of you like me perhaps have some stuff in your life that has happened to you wait upon the god wait upon god and do not let your past do not let your circumstances define your story move forward the gospel it's not whether you think you're good or bad it's whether you're engaged with Jesus. It's whether you're engaged with what he's up to. That your life is no longer your own, but you belong to him. This is a huge shift. That you do not belong to yourself anymore. Get to this point and you will find new freedom. I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. And because I belong to him, nothing else really matters. You see, Moses could never really rescue because there's a, something inside of us that has to give way to Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. <coughs> we had to have Jesus come. Jesus is actually the, the, the star of this uh, story. He is the one that actually led the children of Israel through the wilderness. He is the one that was shaping and directing our lives. Freedom comes not necessarily from everything going my way. It's not always an external thing. It always starts internally. I have to get rid of my slavery thinking. Oh, man, these circumstances, they're just the way they are, and I can't get out of that. See, the gospel is for something, and God is for you, and you were created for him. We depend on his all-compassing, all-encompassing um, um, sufficiency for our life. He not only rescues us from our sin and our addictions and our pain and our sorrow, he brings into life a whole new person. 
so that we live for him. Would you stand with me and let's pray. God, as we sing, as we pray, as we hear your word today, we are confessing that we do not belong to this world or to slave thinking of this world. Instead, Lord, you are all sufficient to do whatever we need. We can do that with your strength and with your glory. Thank you, Lord God, that we are free people. Just say that to the Lord. Lord, I'm free. Say it again. I am free. And if you really want to make uh, the devil mad at you, say it louder. I am free. I am free. God has set me free. I'm no longer a slave of the past or my circumstances, but he is working in my life. We're going to sing this song. It's a wonderful song, No Longer Slaves. I'm going to have the ushers come forward today. And thank you for your giving. Thank you for helping us to reach our community for Jesus. But let's sing this because this is a confession of our hearts. This is who we are. The kids are going to help us sing because they knew the song. It's awesome. And we're going to declare this is who we are now.